All right, good morning. Go ahead and have a seat. Uh, quick announcement regarding uh, the deacons. Uh, first of all, uh, Matt Thomas, who has served as a deacon for the last couple years, uh, he is stepping down as a deacon. He's not here. I would pick on him, but you know, Matt has uh, invested a, a lot of time uh, in his role as a deacon. I mean, he literally was paying the bills, involved in the finances. So we're, we're extremely uh, grateful for, for Matt and for his uh, time commitment uh, to Creekside. And, and he wants that to continue. Nothing's going to change in that regard. He just has other commitments he needs to meet. Uh, needs to meet. So uh, we, we're, we're, we're thankful for him and thankful for his service. Uh, and we also want to announce uh, that we've nominated Ken Taylor. Ken is here. I'll pick on you, Ken. Can you stand up just a second? <laughs> well, believe me, we wouldn't trust you with that. Uh, <laughs> Ken is stepping into the role, although, as he noted, not in the finance realm. Uh, but it is, uh, we are nominating him as a deacon. Uh, and so we're going to officially do that in a couple weeks. want to give you guys the opportunity if you have any feedback regarding that. I want to read a quick verse for you. Uh, this is from 1 Timothy. It says, In the same way, deacons are to be worthy of respect sincere, not indulging in much wine, and not pursuing dishonest gain. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. They must first be tested, and then if there's nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. And, you know, that kind of speaks to who Ken is, I believe. So we are going to nominate him. Uh, if you have any thoughts or comments, please let us know. Uh, I think he'll fit nicely in the role of a deacon. And we know the deacon's responsibility really uh, to, to care for, for the people within the church, whether it meet financial needs or physical needs. You know, we talked about the finances, uh, the building. All of these things are, are kind of fall into the deacon's role. So I think Ken naturally fits into that, and so we're excited about that. So let me just pray, and then I'll hand it back over to Nick. God, we, we thank you uh, for your church. God, we thank you for Creekside. Uh, we thank you uh, just for Matt and his service uh, the last couple of years and just his time commitment uh, that he put into it. And God, we, we thank you for Ken, uh, just his heart to serve, uh, his heart for your kingdom. Uh, so we just pray for him uh, as well. Uh, God, we just, uh, we thank you for this morning. Uh, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that we serve a risen Savior. And it's his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Kyle. Um, as we sing that first song, it says over and over again, I will worship you for who you are. And uh, it makes me think of um, the point we made a couple weeks ago that we don't have to um, base our faith on what God does all the time because we won't understand it. It's impossible for us to understand everything that God does. But if we worship God for who he is, then our faith will be unshakable because God is unshakable and because God never changes. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen? And so um, we're going to sing another song while the offering is going to come around. If you're a visitor, all we want you to do is to look in the seat in front of you and take the card out that's there and fill that out. We would love to have your information and reach out to you. Um, but for the rest of you, we're going we're gonna to take the offering and um, we want to sing this song, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. And um, sing this as a prayer. Really, when we worship, when we sing, all we're doing is praying in another form. And so we want this to, uh, to be a prayer and our, our cry out to God, um, come thou fount, come thou king. Um, and we're going to have two offerings today um, because it's the first of the month. And so that second one is going to be for um, our uh, building pledges. So uh, let's just sing this together and, and, and understanding that we are in the presence of an almighty God. So I just want you to rest in these moments as we sing together. God, our prayer this morning is that we would acknowledge you in everything that we are, God. That we would acknowledge all that you've done for us, God, and that, um, that, God, in our failure to acknowledge you, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for Jesus on the cross, and his grace is sufficient for us. His grace is sufficient for all of our sin, past, present, and future, God. And um, Father, we want to believe him for that. God, we, uh, 
we are sorry that we fail every day to acknowledge God for who He is. We're sorry that we fail in a moment-by-moment basis to acknowledge the King of the universe and the authority and the rule that He has over our lives, God. We're sorry that, um, God, we've, we've cut short the power of an almighty God when we fail to acknowledge Him on a day-to-day basis. Father, I just pray that you would drive us to acknowledge you, drive us to your throne, drive us to a deeper love for the God that has to pour out his wrath, but he poured it out on Jesus so that he didn't have to pour it out on us, God. We are so thankful for that. We're so thankful for that, God. Um, We need you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat. As I mess with all my cords, I have to be really careful that I don't trip over something, because that would be awesome, right? I know you guys would love that. Okay, good. All right. This doesn't usually happen, you know. Um, Tim is on vacation, so it had to happen this week. Um, But I want to read you something. that I read in the Desiring God blog this last week. Just love this. Um, Yesterday was July 4th, Independence Day, um, but there's also a lot going on in our nation. So I just want to read this to you. um, And as the church, we can really grab on to what this is saying. So just listen to this. In the American sense, freedom is the ability to pursue one's self-determined happiness with minimal constraints imposed by others or by the state. Tyranny is an external force that inhibits the pursuits of one's internal desires. Christian freedom is different. According to scripture, the worst tyranny is one's errant, self-determined internal desires. And the greatest freedom comes from submitting to an external force, God. Here's how Jesus said it. Truly, truly, I say to you, Everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So, if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Isn't that real freedom? I mean, that's real freedom. Apart from anything that happens in our country, I mean, we are free in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen? I mean, that's real freedom. I love that. It's awesome. So I want to talk today about failure to acknowledge God in every moment of life and the sin that 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 is. I mean, because if God is God and we are not, okay, we fail. I mean, every single day we fail to acknowledge God. We fail to acknowledge his authority over us, and that's sin, right? I want to read for you, uh, turn in your Bibles to Ezekiel chapter 28. It's almost right in the middle, it's on page 928 for me, okay? So, go ahead and get to Ezekiel chapter 28. I'm just going to read a few verses here. A little background on these verses. This is a comparison of the king of Tyre, okay, and Lucifer, who was cast out of heaven, who we know as Satan, okay? So just listen to this and and listen to characteristics of something beautiful that was distorted and became sinful and became evil, okay? Ezekiel 28, 11 through 19. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, raise a lamentation over the king of Tyre. And say to him, thus says the Lord God, you were the signet of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. Sardius, topaz, and diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, emerald, and carbuncle, and and crafted in gold were your settings and your engravings. On that day... That you were created, they were prepared. You were an anointed guardian cherub. I placed you. You were on the holy mountain of God. In the midst of the stones of fire you walked. 
You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till unrighteousness was found in you. In the abundance of your trade, you were filled with violence in your midst and you sinned. So I cast you as a profane thing from the mountain of God and I destroyed you, O guardian cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I exposed you before kings to feast their eyes on you. By the multitude of your iniquities and the unrighteousness of your trade, you profaned your sanctuaries. So I brought fire out from your midst. It consumed you, and I turned you to ashes on the earth in the sight of all who saw you. All who know you among the peoples are appalled at you. You have come to a dreadful end and shall be no more forever. Let's look at a little few characteristics here of Satan. (laughs) What are the positive things before he fell from heaven? Positive things. He was the signet of perfection. He was full of wisdom and beauty. He was the anointed guardian cherub, like top dog angel, right? Right? He was blameless. But then, here's all the negative stuff. He was blameless until unrighteousness was found in him. See, angels are not perfect, right? Angels are not perfect. Angels have a choice and angels were created. He was filled with violence and he sinned. He was proud of heart because of his beauty, right? He, was, he corrupted wisdom for the sake of his own splendor. In his unrighteousness, he profaned his sanctuaries, and he came to a dreadful end and shall be no more forever. Go over to Isaiah chapter 14. Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12. How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart... I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to Sheol to the far reaches of the pit. Those who see you will stare at you and ponder over you. Is this the man who made the earth tremble and who shook kingdoms? And then it goes on. A lot of you already know, and I've said this before, but our first year in ministry was not glamorous. Actually, our first like five years in ministry were not glamorous. I I spent a lot of time really pretty depressed, which turned into anger, okay? But I would always ask myself the question, like, well, the church wasn't growing, things weren't happening the way I wanted them to happen. So the question I always ask is just like, sitting in my house, like, Heather, what is wrong with me? Like, what is wrong with me? I, in college, in my college days, I, I mean, Heather and I were both like, man, we want to go be a part of something growing. We want to go be a part of something good. We want to be a part of something big, right? I mean, we would go to conferences where there's like, 7,000 people, and we'd be watching the guys on the stage. We're like, we're going to do that. We're going to do that someday, right? We want to be a part of something huge, right? Here's the problem with that. My identity was built on all the wrong things. Because I saw that there was a problem with our ministry, and that was exactly the problem. It was our ministry, not God's. I never completely let go and said, hey, God, big or not, I want to be your instrument. I want this to be your ministry. I want you to do your thing here. It's a difference between saying, hey, God, would you please please come and be a part of my plans? Like, I think he kind of chuckles at that a little bit. Because, I mean, you've heard it say before, you got to your plans? Like, your plans don't really exist. I'm sorry to say that, right? So we need to go from saying, God, God, will you bless my plans? Will you bless what we're, what we're doing here? And say, instead, we say, God, what are you doing? We want to be a part of it. 
Like, we want to be a part of a move of God. Like, we want to be a part of a move of God in Urbandale, right? In, in Carlisle, the ends of the earth, right? That's what it says. So, um, but we want to be a part, a, a part of a move of God. But when it becomes our ministry, when it becomes things that we can do on our own, our identity gets all screwed up, and eventually we're going to hit rock bottom. Eventually you can't go on that anymore, right? My identity was built on all the wrong things. But every single person in this room, okay, every single one of you, me, everyone in the earth, at their heart of hearts wants to feel significance, right? We want to feel significance in relationships. We want to feel significant at our job. We want to feel significant at home. We want to feel significant in whatever roles God has us playing right now. We want to feel significance, right? Nobody likes to feel left out. Nobody feels, likes to feel degraded. Nobody likes to feel out of the group, right? Nobody likes to really not have friends. Nobody likes to be disconnected. We just don't like that. That's not how we were made. So what does Satan do, right? We already know, Tim spoke about this a month or so ago, that Satan is the father of all what? Say it louder. Satan is the father of all Lies. So everything that Satan communicates to you, even though it may be masked as truth, even though it may sound like truth, because he's super smart, right? Satan's smarter than you, right? Just know that. Satan's smarter than you. He's been around for a long time, and he's studied humanity. He's smarter than every single one of us, and he capitalizes on the little things. He twists truth, but every single thing that Satan whispers to you is a lie. It's a lie. And so what does he say to us? He takes what's in our head and what's in our culture and, and what God has placed in us as a desire for significance that can only be found in God. Satan takes that and he puts it internal, right? He says, oh, you can find that in yourself, right? You go for that. You go get that, right? But here's pride defined, okay? Here's a, here's a working definition of pride for you that we can go off of this morning. Trying to acknowledge, t- trying to acknowledge ourself, okay, apart from God, right? Self-worth apart from God is what pride is, okay? That's exactly what it is. But here's the thing. God is king. God is holy. God is jealous for us. I was, I was praying this morning when, the, when we were practicing, and I love being able to pray this, because I pray, God, help us to bring you glory. Like, doesn't that sound arrogant? Right? Because if, if it was all about me, and you said, oh, Nick, help us to bring you glory... Uh, that's just on a human level, that sounds arrogant, right? But here's the deal. Praying that to God is a beautiful thing. God, help us to bring you glory is not a, an arrogant prayer. It's a prayer based completely in truth because God is the only being in the whole planet that deserves that glory, that deserves that worth, right? Right? So if he deserves that worth, we know that God is for God, right? And then his relationships with us, in the end, are to bring glory to his name. So that's a beautiful prayer. God, help us to give you glory. That's what worship is all about. We love that. God deserves and he is worth our acknowledgement. And he takes it really, really seriously when his creation fails to acknowledge him. Okay, when his creation takes their own devices and their own desires and their own heart pulls and replaces God with them, right? Everything that's going on in America right now, we seriously have to ask these few questions, okay? Number one, what is truth, right? What is truth? Number two, what is the source of truth? And number three, does truth ever change? Right? You get that. You put that with watching. We watch as our, our um, <clears throat> across the board. I mean, churches are, are, are changing everywhere. But it's not changing based on the 
word of God. It's changed based on where culture is going. And so we really have to ask that question. What's truth and who determines it? And then does it ever change? Because if it never changes, then the word of God never changes. And God never changes. And so we're not allowed to change those truths, right? But here's the thing. In Acts 4, okay, the Jewish council come to the apostles and say, listen, we're not going to keep you in prison. We're going to let you go. We're going to beat you first, but we're going to let you go, okay? But you are not allowed to anymore preach the gospel in the name of Jesus Christ. You cannot preach in that name. What's their response? I love this. I love this. Their response, okay, just after getting beat, after getting flogged, They say this, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot help but speak of what we have seen and heard. So when we answer the question, what's truth, who does it come from, and does it ever change, who is our authority on truth? Who is our authority on truth? God. And God does not change. Right? And there's some kind of crazy freedom in that, knowing that no matter how much our world changes, I mean, Jesus promised suffering more than anyone. Okay? He said, if they hate you, if if, if they hated me, Jesus talking, they're going to hate you. Right? But here's the deal. They're not going to hate the people that change with culture. They're going to love them. Right? They're just not going to. They're going to hate us if we live by the authority of God. But there's a crazy freedom in that because where's our hope? Where's our hope? God, and it's in heaven. It's not here, right? So there's a freedom in that. I mean, like, if we follow God, here's the deal, okay? This is like a war cry. If we follow God, we can't lose. If we follow God, we can't lose. Right? Everybody say that. If I follow God, I can't lose. Say it, if I follow God, I can't lose. That's awesome. I mean, I feel like I want to paint my face blue and get in a little loincloth and run around with a spear. That would terrify everyone. But I just, if I follow God, I can't lose, right? But here's, media is constantly pushing us to what? Self-help, to be better, to go get it. It's in you. Right? It's all about us. And we completely leave God out of the picture. I saw a slogan this last week. It said, impossible is nothing. Right? Impossible is nothing. Pushing humanity to realize their full potential. But here's the deal. I want to tell you this. Humanity has zero potential. Humanity has zero potential. Right? Apart from God. But here's what scripture says. With man, what is impossible is possible with God. And what he's talking about is man cannot earn anything to save himself. Man cannot be worth anything on his own. Right? And that's a beautiful thing for me because I know myself. Right? And I know I'm not worth a lot. Right? But here's the thing. Not worth a lot was worth a whole lot to God. I mean, enough that he sent his son, Jesus. I've said this before, but I'm not sending my son to die for any of you. I love you, but not that much, right? I'm just not gonna do it. There's no significance found in me. So impossible is nothing? No, impossible is everything. Impossible is what humanity is. We cannot be worth anything within ourselves. We cannot find worth in ourselves and we can't earn any sort of worth. We can't earn salvation. But the beautiful thing is what's impossible with man is possible with God. And I think a lot of people look at, um, they look at God and, and they like all of the awesome attributes about God, right? <clears throat> so what, what are some attributes about God that, that everyone kind of likes. Shout some of those out. Love. What else? Gracious. What else? Kind. What else? Louder. Peace. Long-suffering. All these things, right? What are some of the things that people hate about God? 
or what people hate about God, but they can't possibly believe because it doesn't match up with the positive things about God, right? What are some of those things? What do people hate about God? Huh? Judgment. What else? Justice. His holiness, his righteousness, his wrath, because you know what? All of those things my finite mind cannot possibly understand. This fits into why I can't necessarily always base my faith on who God is. I mean, on what God does, but I base my faith on who God is because I know that his justice and his love fit perfectly. See, my love and my justice are like compartmentalized in my mind, right? That's what we do. We compartmentalize love and justice. Like if I have an issue with somebody, I have a hard, hard, hard time loving that person and showing that love for that person in the next moment, right? It's really hard to love somebody and to seek complete justice for that person at the same time. But God does it perfectly. So what our world does, in our sinful, finite human minds, we say, there's no way a loving God would do that. There's no way a loving God would send anybody to hell. There's no way a loving God would give people a choice. Why doesn't he save anybody, everybody? There's no way that God's justice needs to be poured out as wrath upon mankind. There's no way, right? And I was praying this this morning. I went on a, on a walk, because um, we, we had some time, so I went on a walk on these trails back here, and I was just praying, God, it's hard for my mind to understand, apart from the Spirit, how your love and your justice fit together, right? It's hard to figure out how to explain that to somebody, right? But, my prayer is that the Holy Spirit reveals that to everyone in this room, how God's love and God's justice fit together. And we're going to get into that more. <clears throat> so here's the, the, the overarching big theme, one point for the morning. So if you're writing something down or if you can text yourself or your spouse or a friend or whoever, text this to them. Write this down. Okay, here it is. Failure to acknowledge God becomes the root of all of our sin. Failure to acknowledge God becomes the root to all of our sin. See, I'm convinced, okay, that if acknowledging God became a part of the very fabric of my life, that it became a part of every, not just the overarching whole of my life where I say, yes, I acknowledge God, I'm a believer in Jesus and all this. But moment by moment, like when I'm about to yell at my kids or when I'm reading a book, okay, or when I'm scrolling through Twitter or whatever I'm doing, when I'm having a conversation with somebody, when I'm talking to somebody I love, when I'm talking to a stranger, when I'm talking to my wife, when I'm talking to my kids, when I'm talking to you, and when I'm at work, every single situation if the first thing I could do was acknowledge God, then, okay, this is going to sound crazy because we know ourselves, then that's when I truly believe that we could put sin to death in our mortal bodies, right? Because Scripture says that with the power of the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ's death on the cross, okay, we're not slaves to sin anymore. We've died to sin and we're alive to life in Jesus Christ, okay? Died to sin, when, when someone's dead, they're, they're no longer active on the planet, right? When sin's dead in us, it no longer has to be active. What am I not saying? I'm not saying that you're not going to sin anymore. I'm not saying that I'm not going to sin, right? Because I know I will. But if we acknowledge God, here's a, here's a good word, okay? If you want to sound smart at work or something, use the word sanctification, Okay, We've, you've heard it here before, it's just a big word and people outside the church don't necessarily know what that means. But sanctification, here's what this means. It's the process of becoming more Christ-like. You're becoming what God through Christ says that you are, righteous, right? So like when I get married, I am a husband, but I'm not a perfect husband. I, I'm getting better at that, right? That's what I am, but I'm not perfect at it yet. God says through Jesus Christ that you're righteous, if you've come to him for salvation, right? You're righteous. Sanctification is the process of living that out, right? Of becoming more Christ-like because that is the goal, right? 
But the number one thing that gets in the middle of that, in, in, in front of that, that inhibits that from happening is a failure to acknowledge God and his authority in our life. It's the root of everything. So turn to Genesis chapter 11. Genesis chapter 11. I love this passage, and before I had to really dig into it more to preach on it, it was just a story in the Bible. But uh, it's pretty significant, um, and I hope you can see why. So let's read that. Genesis chapter 11, verse 1 through 9, just nine, nine verses, the story of the Tower of Babel. Now the whole earth had one language. Okay, this is after the flood. Okay, it's after the flood. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar, or Shinar, or whatever you want to say, and um, settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. They said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top to the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower, which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they, have all, they all have one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do, and nothing that they purpose to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us, now this is God saying let us, okay, who's he talking to? The community of the Trinity. Let us go down and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth. And they left off building the city. Therefore its name was called Babel. Because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of the earth. So a little background here, okay? You go back to Genesis chapter 10, and you're like, why is this there? Genesis chapter 10, all right? Like the first part of Matthew, it's kind of like, what in the world is there for? Genealogies, okay, they seem to not have any purpose, right? Anybody with me? Genealogies, they should just take them out of the Bible. But here's the reason why they shouldn't, okay? <clears throat> Much of what is described in chapter 10 actually takes place after what I just read about the Tower of Babel. Okay? So just know that. But we're not going to talk more about that right now because it will take forever. There's so much to talk about historically about the Tower of Babel. It would take us a long time. It would take us days to just talk about that. I mean, we could have class upon class upon class. There's just a ton historically that is significant here. But I want to bring out a few, um, a few things to you. If you read through the book of Genesis, okay? If you read through the book of Genesis, even after we're done with the series, I, I, I recommend that you finish the book of Genesis, okay, in your own time. But if you read through the whole book, a huge uh, theme in the book of Genesis is the promise, the unconditional covenant that God made with Abraham, and we're going to start talking about that next week when we talk about the call of Abraham, okay? But what genealogies do, what chapter 10 does for us is to explain, okay, spiritual and geographical, ge geographical happenings before Abraham's call. And I love this. I love this. Abraham, we don't think about this often. When we think about Abraham, you think about a godly man, a righteous man that God called. No, God called, and we see this in chapter 10, everybody that came after the flood, okay, there's, there, God's rule was, was not imposed yet, okay, we see that Abraham was called by God out of a pagan nation. What do you think Abraham was doing before that? I heard this this morning, okay, in a message I was listening to on the, way, on the way in here. Abraham would have been worshiping the sun god. Abraham would have been worshiping the god, other gods, idols, pagan worship. Abraham would have been involved in that because he was called out of a pagan nation, all right, to people who did not acknowledge God as their authority to become a people for his name. I love that. Through Abraham's descendants, the entire earth would be blessed, the nation of Israel, the Jewish people, and eventually the Messiah. We also see that God has a perfect plan. 
God can use people for his namesake, even from a pagan country. They were corrupt. The chief of sinners. I remember, uh, I don't know, it was probably a month or two ago, in our Tuesday morning men's study, we were um, talking about Paul, right? <clears throat> and he was Saul before he came to Jesus, before J Jesus met him on the road to Damascus. And when he was Saul, he was killing Christians, right? He, was, he thought he was doing a favor to God, but he didn't know Jesus. And Jesus came to him and, and he said, Lord, who are you? And he said, I am Jesus. Like, listen, Paul, Saul, who you're killing for, you're not really killing for. Because you're killing because people believe in Jesus. But I am Jesus. Like, God, I am Jesus. Right? You're persecuting me. So Paul gets converted. One of the guys in our group says, says this. We're all Saul. Right? We are all Saul. If God can save him, if God can save me, then God can save anybody. And here's the cool thing, okay? Everyone that God calls to himself for salvation was a pagan before they came to Jesus. I mean, isn't that cool? That God calls pagans to do his work. I mean, that's cool. That's not getting much of a reaction here, but that's cool. That shows the power of God to save souls. So what do we say? If we follow God, we can't lose, right? Even if we get shut down when we're evangelizing to somebody, right? We haven't lost. We haven't lost anything. We've obeyed God, right? Love it. I love that. The city of Babel, same as the land of Shinar, this is cool becomes the city of Babylon, okay? Here's why this is significant. Babel is the center of where man came together, all one language, all in the same place, came together against God to think that they could make a name for themselves without God. They thought they could make a name for themselves apart from God. So that happened at Babel. Babylon which this becomes, is the home headquarters of the Antichrist, completely 100% opposed to the kingdom of Jesus on earth for his millennial reign in Jerusalem. Satan's sin before Adam and Eve ever happened, before Adam and Eve were created, before any of that happened, Satan was an angel. That have been created by God, a chief cherub, top dog angel who thought, I'm gonna raise above God. Right? He failed to acknowledge God's authority over him. And so he attempted to raise himself above God. Right? At Babel, the same Thing happened with humanity. And that city, okay, this is where it started. Mutiny at Babel. You see that? Mutiny against God started at Babel. And in the end, it's going to be the city that becomes the very headquarters for Satan's main spokesperson on the earth against the kingdom of Jesus. You see how serious that is? A failure to acknowledge God? That he can't let that go. But the weight of the fact that he can't let that go, the very city where it started is the very city where it ends. Mutiny against God, he takes it seriously. The fact that he can't let it go should give so much more weight to the fact that he didn't let it go. But he poured it out on Jesus instead of you. He poured it out on Jesus instead of me. Right? City's super significant. Humanity staged a mutiny against God at Babel, but think about yourself. Think about your everyday life. Isn't that exactly what we do? Every time we give in to the media's self-help stuff, every time we serve God for self-gain, I'm not talking about heavenly treasures, okay? 
But isn't that what we do? We stage a mutiny against God that we don't even know we're doing because we're just living life. But our failure to acknowledge God becomes the root to all of our sin. But the gospel stands completely opposed to that and in conjunction with that at the same time. Because how does God respond to such mutiny? He's God. He wouldn't be God anymore if he stood for it, right? He wouldn't be God anymore if he let that go. If God let mutiny against himself go, he wouldn't be God anymore because then all of the negative attributes that, well, that the world thinks is negative that you all named, they wouldn't be attributes of God anymore, right? And so then you've got half of God that is not God anymore, and then you've just got this God that we've created in our own little box that fits pretty perfectly into what we want him to be, right? But how does he respond to that? He is love, he is compassionate, he is father, he's friend, but he's also an equally just, wrathful, jealous, vengeance is rightfully his. So what does he do? In the story of Babel, I think it's kind of ironic, but they built a city with its height to the heavens to make a name for themselves so that what wouldn't happen? So that they wouldn't be scattered across the face of the earth. And that's exactly what resulted in their mutiny against God. First God confused their language. Okay. I think he's, a, he's <clears throat> got a sense of humor. I would think that was somewhat funny. If y'all started speaking a different language and chaos ensued, I, I just think I might laugh. Okay. Um, but he slowed down their progress by doing that. And then he scattered them over the face of the whole earth, putting an end to the building of their tower. What's he do with us? Remember the message, I don't know how long ago it was, but it was called the gracious curse. And it was all about the penalties toward Adam and toward Eve for their sin, their offense against God. Right? What do we talk about? The penalty for our sin is a gracious reminder constantly that we need a savior. Right? That we're in opposition to God and that we need to be redeemed. It's also a part of the just wrath of God. And that's what we actually deserve. Right? So every act of God is at the same time just and at the same time loving. I mean, that's crazy. Every single act of God is at the same time equally just and equally loving towards humanity. They tried to build a tower to make a name for themselves and God reminds them that that is futile and will only end in continued mutiny against God. He says, behold, they're one people and they have one language and this is only the beginning of what they will do and nothing that they purpose to do will be impossible for them. So get this, God not putting an end to mutiny is not gracious. He, could, he can do that. And sometimes he lets people go into their sin. But he understands that the furthest, sometimes the furthest way back to God is all the way into their sin. Right? They need to hit rock bottom before they get back to him. But God not dealing with sin. God not dealing with mutiny against him. Is not gracious. Because if he didn't, you know what we would do? we would continue to pursue things that will not and cannot lead to salvation. You see how that's true? (laughs) So it's awesome that God reacted like he did. Because it's a continual reminder to us that, man, God, thank you, thank you, thank you that your holiness is as strong as your love. Because if it wasn't, We would just do whatever we wanted to and we would be deceived to think that we could possibly save ourselves and we can't. So that would not be gracious of God at all, right? It would only ever push us further away from God, but God wants to draw us to himself. Our sin, our pride, our attempts to be smarter, better, apart from God, they must be dealt with. Romans 2.4 says, God's kindness 
is meant to lead us to repentance. So is his wrath. Everything God does is meant to lead us to repentance. 1 Timothy 2.4 says, God who desires all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. God doesn't want people to suffer his wrath. He does love every single individual. And you know how he showed it? The truth of the matter is that every single one of us in this room deserves punishment for our sin. Right? We deserve the full wrath of God to spend eternity in hell. I mean, it's just the truth. It's what we deserve. Right? And we question the love of God because he wouldn't, because not everybody gets saved. We question the love of God that he gave us a choice. We question the love of God that he would let so-and-so die. We question these things. But the truth is, (laughs) he didn't have to save us. What we deserve is punishment. But the one act of God sending his son Jesus to earth should blow our minds. That we're not getting what we deserve because of Jesus. I mean, there is no greater love than this, right? That someone should lay down their life for his friends. We're not getting what we deserve. We're not getting what we deserve, right? We always say if God is loving, then why would he? Why would he? Why would he? His grace and his justice were all defined and fulfilled and satisfied at the same time when Jesus hung on the cross. I mean, do we get that? It was all satisfied when Jesus hung on the cross. This is the gospel. This is good news because here's the thing. There's only good news when there's bad news first, right? Good news only matters when there's bad news first. And the bad news is that we deserve to be punished. The good news is that through Jesus we're not, but someone was. His wrath had to be poured out, but it was poured out on Jesus. So the band is going to come back up, and we're going to sing together. And we've got to acknowledge God in every moment of our lives. So start with, if you have not, I'm seriously, if you haven't turned to Jesus, turn to him now. You don't have to know everything. You don't have to be biblically super smart. You have to know one thing. You deserved punishment, and because of Jesus, you don't have to be punished. If you have, what's our response? What's our response to this? That we are thankful that God's grace is, to, is sufficient to save us in Jesus. Right? Now, I pray that this thought leads us, this thought, okay, failure to acknowledge God is the root of all of our sin. I pray that that leads us to urgency for ourselves, but urgency for a lost and dying world, right? Because there's so many people that are chasing significance within themselves and they'll never, ever find it, right? You know who Penn and Teller is? Anybody know who Penn and Teller is? Okay, I was watching a YouTube video, I think it was Teller, He was saying this, complete atheist um, said this. He says, if you believe in God and you think that there is one way to get to heaven and everyone who doesn't have it is going to die and go to hell. and And he kept saying, if you believe in God, which there's not a God, right? But if you believe in God, there is not a God, right? He kept saying that. But he said, if you really believe that, how much do you have to hate somebody not to tell them about it? I mean, and, and that like smacked me between the eyes. Because it's like, uh, I guess you're right. Because everyone deserves the wrath of God. But because of Jesus, we don't get it. I mean, isn't that cool? Isn't that cool? You don't get the wrath of God. Because Jesus took it, right? If you don't think that's cool, I don't think you understand the weight of the wrath of God, therefore the weight of Jesus' sacrifice for us. So we're going to worship together, all right? 
The mission of God on earth is to spread the gospel to all people and he wants to use us. So I pray that we are joyful as we remember Jesus. Uh, the, The wrath that was meant for us was poured out on Jesus. So we have the bread and the juice. This is gracious too that he said I want you to remember me often. Every time you take the bread and the juice this is to remind you of what I did for you. This is to remind you that you ain't all that. You can't save yourself, right? From dust you were created to dust you will return. But through Jesus, we're so much more. People doubt the love of God because he's a just God, because he's a wrathful God. What more proof do we need that he loves us? And that's what a lost and dying world needs to know. You don't have to understand God to know that through his son, Jesus, he loves you. He loves you. He loves you. But a failure to acknowledge him is the root of all of our sin. So let's sing and be joyful. Let's be joyful that we are saved, that we are, that we are being sanctified, and that we are justified in the name of Jesus Christ. I just want you to spend a few moments just thinking about that and preparing your hearts to remember Jesus and think about the weight of your salvation because that's real freedom. If the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. want to challenge you for this week if he is the great I am if he is ultimate truth if he is where truth is found and God does not change then this week in all of your moments when you first wake up when you're eating breakfast when you're taking a shower everything that you're doing as mundane as those things to having meaningful life conversations dealing with issues dealing with happiness whatever it is Acknowledge God first. Acknowledge God in that situation. And it might lead you to make the right choice. And it might lead you to have a better perspective. And it might lead you to glorify God more. But ask the question first. God, where are you in this situation? God, I acknowledge your sovereignty. I acknowledge your authority. You are God and I am not, so help me here. God, thank you for today, right? So let's sing one more song together. It's called Reign in Us. And again, this is a prayer. Let's just ask God through his Holy Spirit because of Jesus Christ to reign in us, to give us the power to acknowledge him.